Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weekly Wrap. In this episode, we will be discussing what you can expect from the 24 September issue, which will be on shelf on 17 September. I'm Janine Ryan and with me today is Yolinda Schroeder. Hi, Yolinda. Hi, Janine. Also in this episode, we will look at agriculture in Morocco and discuss some of the key commodities produced in this country. So without further ado, let's look at the cover for this week. In this issue, we focus on dairy production and how a farmer can increase milk yield while still lowering the carbon footprint of the operation. Also in this issue, we look at glyphosate contamination in orchards and what, what this means for the long-term health of soil and subsequent crops. We also have an article on saving the black-footed cat, and we speak to a government grain inspector who defends the role of grain inspectors. This week, I want to dive a little deeper into the dairy story. The subject of methane emissions from dairy cattle has received increased attention from environmental activists concerned about climate change. This has spilled over to consumers, many of whom are seeking milk alternatives to reduce their carbon footprints. To maintain market share and increase their sustainability, farmers will thus have to focus on reducing methane emissions to reduce their carbon footprints. We spoke to Dr. Sahid Salami, research fellow in the solutions deployment team at Animal Feed and Nutrition Manufacturer Alltech, who says that the dairy industry is the second largest source of greenhouse gas emissions in the livestock chain. As pressure mounts on governments to reduce emissions, the dairy sector may be subject to further environmental regulations, which means that farmers will have to adapt to these changes. Fortunately, research shows that reducing GHG emissions while improving yield is entirely possible. Professor Jude Kappa, livestock sustainability consultant, says that in reducing methane emissions, there is no one easy solution with a host of checks and balances needing to be put in place on the farm. Luckily, much of it boils down to better management of cow herds, which would not only increase production, but boost profit too. She says that improving milk yield is the first step in reducing emissions. If you get more milk per cow, it means you need fewer cows to produce the same amount of milk. And removing a cow from the herd automatically reduces the carbon footprint since water, land, feed and emissions are reduced. This also improves the economics of dairy farming. One aspect that must be carefully managed is animal health. Good animal health makes a big contribution in reducing carbon footprints. Kappa says that globally, 20% of animal protein is lost due to disease. This means that any reduction in disease will ultimately affect yield and carbon footprints. If farmers produce less milk due to mastitis, it means they need more cows to make up a certain production target. Increased mortality, a lower weaning rate, failure to conceive and reduced growth rates all mean we need more animals on the farm to produce a certain amount of milk. This equals a greater resource use and a higher economic cost. Has the reduction in GHG emissions been quantified in terms of various illnesses and diseases? So research has shown that eliminating John's disease, for example, would reduce GHD emissions by 24%. Eliminating mastitis would bring a 5% saving, while a reduction in infectious bovine rhinotracheitis would result in an 8% saving. Since there are vaccines or management practices that can eliminate all of these issues, the solution is already there. Kappa's figures show that in the UK, eradicating John's disease through colostrum management could increase profitability by about 1,600 grand a cow and decrease GHG emissions by 387 tons of carbon dioxide during the animal's lifetime. IBR mitigation would result in an economic benefit of 1,900 rand per cow and a 277 ton reduction in carbon dioxide, 
while eliminating mastitis would increase profitability by 3,100 rand per cow and reduce carbon dioxide emissions by 96 tons across the cow's entire life cycle. Considering that 200 tons of carbon dioxide is equal to nearly 300 cars on the road, these savings would go a long way towards decreasing the carbon footprint of a dairy farmer. Were carbon taxes to be paid for each ton of carbon, the 387 tons that a farmer would save through John's disease mitigation would result in a saving of 116,000 rand, considering that the cost of carbon trading on the market is currently 300 rand per ton. Right, Linda, what is in the news this week? Okay, we had a full news week again. Um, one of the main stories, there has been renewed calls to double the so-called sugar tax or health promotion levy once the moratorium on such increases is lifted in 2022. The Healthy Living Alliance, along with a group of public health scholars, mostly from overseas, recently wrote an open letter to National Treasury and SARS requesting that the levy on sugary drinks be increased from 11 to 20%. However, the South African Cane Growers Association said it was vital that the public and policymakers were made aware of the consequences of the levy on the sugar industry, in particular the jobs and revenue losses for growers. How much has the levy cost the industry in its first year? In the first year, the tax resulted in the sugar industry's output being reduced by more than a billion rand, and the investment in the economy fell by about 653 million. But the Healthy Living Alliance said the main reason it was calling for an increase was that taxes on sugar-sweetened beverages were an effective public health strategy to reduce the burden of health conditions linked to the overconsumption of sugar. The next story is about kiwi fruit. There has been growing demand for kiwi fruit and its high labor requirement for producing uh, this fruit is setting the stage for the industry to expand in South Africa. Wondili Sashlovo, chief economist at Agbas, said with new varieties being released, the industry had experienced a growth spurt over the past five years. How many kiwis were exported globally last year? Global exports amounted to about 1.5 billion tons last year with South Africa exporting about 564 tons. But the fact that China alone imported about 116,000 tons is an indication of the size of the international market. In addition, local consumption is growing, which creates an immediate opportunity for producers. South Africa also has a distinct advantage over other large exporters such as New Zealand, thanks to our relative proximity to the EU, and we can enter the global market earlier than New Zealand, for example. The next story I want to look at is the shortage of vets in South Africa. There is a shortage of vets across South Africa, and to sustain the profession, members of the South African Veterinary Council must go out there and sell our line of work. Dr. Fumulani Munyai, chairperson of the Council Heritage and Transformation Committee said recently. What is the global norm for the number of vets per capita? The international norm has been between 200 and 400 vets per million of a country's population, 
but South Africa has only between 60 and 70 per million. The industry must therefore urgently address the shortage by attracting new entrants. Munyai added that collaboration between the public and private veterinary service in the country was vital for improving accessibility of services, particularly in rural areas. Transforming and sustaining the veterinary profession also needed to be investigated as a matter of urgency. But the Council's president, Dr. Alfred Ghazi, warned that although the transformation of the veterinary profession was a priority, transformation should not be seen as a means to an end. He said we need to look at it in terms of the broader picture that would expand the profession and makes its services more accessible. The last story I want to look at is a high altitude national park that is in the process of being established in the Eastern Cape Mountains, close to the Lesotho border. Sand Park said the park would include the Nordias Neck Pass, South Africa's highest lying road at over 2,500 meters. The national park formed part of a collaboration between Sand Parks and the WWF. Once formally declared, the 30,000 hectare protected area would become South Africa's newest national park, contributing significantly to the conservation of grasslands and water security. What will be unique about the park? WWF South Africa's Temba Ntsbande explained that the park would not be fenced off or people moved off the land. Instead, it will be located in a working agricultural landscape where all the farmers continued to graze their livestock in the mountains as they had done for centuries. That is all from me this week. Thank you, Linda. And now, as promised, let's move on to the Kingdom of Morocco. Agriculture contributes almost 15% to Morocco's GDP, which is significantly higher than the 2.5% contributed by South Africa's agriculture sector to South Africa's GDP. Uh, combined with the fishing and forestry sectors, 45% of Morocco's workforce is employed in agriculture. Moroccan agriculture is divided into three major sectors, modern, private, irrigated, highly capitalized and export-orientated farms, which produce mostly fruit and vegetables. Agriculture within large-scale dam irrigated perimeters producing dairy, sugar, seeds, fruit and vegetables primarily for the local market. And dryland agriculture with more favorable land in the northwest where grains, olives, pulses, red meat and dairy are produced. And less favorable land in the south and east where grains and sheep are produced. What is the main agricultural commodity exported by Morocco? Horticultural products, particularly citrus fruit. They are also big producers and exporters of vegetables like tomatoes. I believe Morocco is well within the top 10 of the world's biggest tomato exporters. And what are the challenges facing the Moroccan agricultural sector? Probably similar to all other countries in the world at the moment. One of Morocco's biggest challenges is climate change, particularly severe drought and soil degradation, which is a topic that requires a lot more attention. Moroccan agriculture is also divided between a modern industrial sector that produces food for export and small holdings that produce food for local markets and subsistence. The divergence of these different models has also been described as a challenge to agriculture, with larger farms, for example, dominating the most fertile and arable land. Similar to South Africa, many small farmers find it difficult to increase their earnings with problems like access to land, a lack of infrastructure or access to credit, and poor technical and marketing support. 
Morocco also faces the problem of poor infrastructure development and an aging farming population. How big of a problem is soil degradation and what is causing it? Uh, desertification is currently threatening about 80% of land in Morocco and soil erosion affects nearly half of this. Severe droughts are part of the problem. Another problem is a rising population which is leading to increased pressure on resources and the removal of natural vegetation as more land is converted for cultivation. Of course, monocropping and heavy tillage is also leading to soil degradation. While the government is trying to encourage irrigation and the use of drought-resistant crops, I don't think there's been much progress in this regard. Don't quote me on that, though. The impact of soil degradation is not limited to agriculture. Soil deg degradation is causing water pollution through rising siltation levels and is leading to conflict in regions where land is collectively owned and grazed. So what would you say the future of Moroccan agriculture look, looks like? Morocco is apparently highly dependent on imports, reportedly consuming three times the amount of imported grains than the world average. However, farmers are encouraged to produce cash crops for export rather than for their own consumption. This is largely due to the government trying to improve income. The government also leases land to foreigners for farming. The entire crop produced by these foreigners can be exported as long as they employ local people, according to a government official. The Morocco Green Plan comprises 1,500 programs um, as a government, government initiative. And this program will require more than $10 billion to implement. It targets large and small farmers. It includes the construction of dams, the expansion of irrigation, and the conversion to crops better suited to the climate. However, some believe that the plan is aimed at intensive farming and focus, focuses more on large-scale farmers, which obviously it's not addressed the challenges faced by small or subsistence farmers. That's all for this week. So remember to get your 24 September issue of Farmers Weekly, which will be on shelf on the 17th of September. Also remember to follow us on social media and to engage with us on what you would like to hear in the podcast or what you would like to read in the magazine. Until next time, stay safe and happy farming.